Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I am with uh, Jeffrey Koenig, the author of The Ruins of Asselia, um, The Wardens of Asselia, The Fate of Wizardom, and The Fall of Wizardoms. Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. Uh, will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Jeff Kohanek. Um, yeah, my author name, Jeffrey L. Kohanek. Uh, yeah, I've been writing since uh, I probably picked up writing after a long time of not doing it. I, you know, back in college, yeah, I creative writing and all that stuff, and I liked it, but I went on my way and did the responsible thing instead and became an engineer and then a product manager, et cetera. Well, on the side, I picked up writing again back in 2014, I'd say. That's when I started, and then my first book published in 2016. I now have 20 novels out, and uh, it's my full-time job. So I, I left my day job two years ago, and I just write full-time. Uh, and I was able to do that because the income got high enough where it's like I, I can sustain myself, and this is more interesting. It's kind of like now I have my second life. That's awesome. That, that that's a dream to for a lot of people to be able to um, do something that they love where they can create and enjoy what they do. So that's that's an awesome right. story. So um, I read on your blog. I was doing some research on you, and you have a very streamlined process. And this blog post was granted in 2018. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't post blog posts very often. <laughs> so, but I found it uh, fascinating that you had a very streamlined process where from start to finish. Um, you were producing a book in about six months, but it was like the first four months of that you were writing and the last two was like the editing and getting stuff ready. But in those two months as well, you'd start on the next book. So you had um, three or four books coming out a year. Do you still follow that or how have things changed since then? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll preface this by like, I write epic fantasy which are tend to be longer books, but mine are kind of like on the short side of epic fantasy, usually around 94,000 words. What ended up happening once I went full-time author, I, I had more time to write and more time to do everything actually uh, for this business. But uh, I got to the point where I would crank out a rough draft in about six to eight weeks. And then I would spend two, three weeks of doing revisions and what I call technical edits just rerun it through software and it can't, they kind of look for, Oh, you have too many uses of this adverb or that, you know, that kind of thing. And then, uh, I'll push it off to my editor and then I just start writing the next book. Um, so what ends up happening is yeah, maybe, maybe two and a half, three months of creation process. And then it follows by about two and a half months of editing, proofing arc readers and then release. So, I don't know, there's roughly about five months between when I start a book and it's released, but they come out at the pace where I was doing, in that size book, five books a year the last two years. That's awesome. Um, what are your daily habits to maintain that consistency? They change. I mean, th things change over time. And I'll say that the amount of words I can do a day is higher now than it was even two years ago and higher then than it was two years before that, right? So it kind of like keeps going up. But my average is probably only something around 2,200, 2,400 words, which, 
Yeah, I mean, depending on where you are in your career or who you are, like that can seem like a lot. It can seem like a little, but that's it's kind of like that's how much creativity I have in a day before I have to really think about the next thing. So I, I need to like take a break and think about the next thing and come back and go again the next day. When when you after that creative, um, I don't know, tank is, is drained. Do you go on to yeah. the more technical side of the business or? Do you do all the writing first and then do the technical <laughs> stuff? Okay. Yeah. So here's what I found. I get up in the morning. And the first thing I do is actually, I live in the West Coast, say that, right? That means that when I get on social media, everybody else has already been there for the day, you know, whether then, you know, everybody from Australia, New Zealand, over to UK, to US, to East Coast, et cetera. So I tend to do that stuff first. I'll get on and I'll do social media, I'll check my ads, I'll check, um, you know, my previous day income, I kind of like do the business stuff for this first chunk. And then I sit down and I start writing. So I would say usually around 9am, I'll sit down, I'll have a writing session, usually about an hour. And then I'll work out or walk the dogs or something, eat something, come back, do another writing session, you know, do have another break. And, and then I'll add a third. So I, I end up usually doing about, I try to do three writing sessions a day. Doesn't always work out because, you know, life. Right. Uh, and 800 to 1,000 words on a session, right? So some days I might have 3,500 words. Other days I might have 1,200. Depends on how much time I have and what's going on. Now you're quit your day job, basically. You know, you have a different day yeah. job your habits in the beginning, you know, 2000 words does sound a lot to, to some people who are just starting out, you know, they have a blank page and they're, they're freaking out, you know, and they get 250 words done <laughs> in a day. And they, that's a, that's a big deal. Do you remember back then? Like how, like what has changed? Like how you've been able to get that growth. And I mean, time is uh, a big factor in that. I mean, being, um, being a full-time author, you have more time, but do you kind of remember right. what, it was like back in the beginning to kind of encourage these new authors that want to pursue this journey. So when I was working my day job, I traveled a lot and I ended up doing right out, basically wrote my books, uh, in taxis and in airports and on airplanes and in hotel rooms. Um, and anywhere, anywhere I happen to be, I'm like, well, you know, uh, instead of me wasting my time on non-productive things, because this, it, those are wasted times. Those are wasted moments. You do, when you travel, you wait, you're waiting all the time for something, you know, I'm waiting for a plane, I'm waiting to get off a plane, that kind of thing. So I would write during those gaps. And I always, I had, you know, that my mindset was any day I get 300 words on a page, it's better than a zero word day. And it works out. It, you know, if you do that, if you, if you keep going, if you keep putting something on the page every day, even if you have to go back and rewrite it, it kind of gives you structure to work with, right? And and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make the structure better. I'm going to, like, it goes from a lump of, an ugly lump of clay to a prettier lump of clay every time you, you massage it. So that's, that's kind of where it was when I began. Um, and I'll tell you, my first book, it took me a year to write, and it was 132,000 words at first. And then I realized, well, for a debut book, probably a little fat. So... I made it, I trimmed it, got down to like a hundred thousand words and I don't know, another year later, it finally came out. So it took me a lot of revisions and edits to make it, what ends up happening is the more you write, 
the better you get at all the pieces. Now I know, I know for a fact, after two revisions, and the first time round of revisions might take me a week to 10 days, second round will be like three or four days. But I know that it, I have a pretty polished book because my first draft is closer to final by far than it was when I started. Now that's a fantastic story. I don't know if you know who Peter Bray is. Um, he's the author of The Demon Cycle, uh, New York Times bestseller. But your story uh, harkens back to him. He, uh, let me see what episode he was. So if people that are listening to this can can go back and see, um, can go back and listen to his story because he would write um, on. He lived in New York and he would write on the train on his little BlackBerry uh, telephone. I remember. No, I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. those. I had one back in the day. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, yeah. So he would write. Um, uh, for those that want to, to listen to his story. It's episode eight on the, the Troy podcast. Um, he would write on his, yeah, his, his Blackberry, you know, a little keyboard, you know, a little keyboard and that's how, what he would do. So, you know, if you want to become a writer, um, you just have to, to basically do it. Did you do it? Did you have a, a laptop that you're doing or were you doing it on an iPad? I had a laptop. Yeah. Laptop. I mean, still how I write. In fact, I, I almost never write at a desk. I, I just, I usually, do the business stuff at the desk. And then when I step away and I go, I'll go sit down like on a lounge chair or on a patio or wherever. All right. That's when I'm writing. Right. So the desk is not my writing space. I step away to go to my writing space and I just put my brain in writing mode and go. Nice. So it's different than most people, but you know, like I write with my, my dog is laying beside me. and Well, everybody needs to find what works for them. So that's, that works for you. And so like, who cares what anybody else says? Right. I think that works for me because I learned to write in airports and on planes and hotel rooms, et cetera. Like it was, those things were away. And when I'm at the desk, I'm not away. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's kind of like where my brain goes. Okay. I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to write and I'll come back and do other stuff. Nice. So what was the genesis for your stories? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) So I love fantasy uh, since I was uh, probably 12, 13 years old. Um, and I've read almost only that genre most of my life, right? And that's it's been decades and thousands of books kind of stuff. Uh, so it, it all those stories and the great storytellers that I grew up with, they had an impact on me and they stirred my own ideas. And, you know, one day I just decided, you know, I have this idea for a magic system and a couple characters in a world, you know, parts of the world. So I just started, I made a map and, and I started laying out some things. And, and actually when I first started, I, um, had an outline, very diligent outline. Now, now for one book for a whole trilogy, like, so it was, it's pretty structured. And I followed that outline. And I wrote that trilogy and it's, it's still out there in the world and that's runes of Asalia, Right. So that's out there. And, uh, you know, there are tons of people who still love it, uh, and that's cool. But what I found as I wrote in that way is that I didn't have enough room for the characters to take to take over the story, you know? So now I, I, I almost do no other. And so I've become a, a pantser in a big way. I have ideas, like, it's kind of like you have a plot, you know, a map. You're driving across the country. You're like, oh, I want to hit, I'm going to hit Chicago, and I'm going to hit Denver, and then I'm going to end up in LA. Well, if you're going to do that, 
there are a lot of different ways to get from place to place. My characters figure out how to get from place to place. And I just know, well, I, these are the major things that I need to have happen to get the, to tell the story I want. And, and here I am. But yeah, now my characters tell my stories. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically just have kind of guideposts, a little skeleton, and you put the muscles and, and skin on yeah. as you kind of go. And they're all in my head. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't bother taking the time to... T- what I find is if I type out an outline, I don't even look at it. So why bother? Hmm. <laughs> it's so bad. You know, I've interviewed quite a few authors now, and it seems like the most common is is that um, that structure that the guidepost. Like nobody's a real like a true pantser, and nobody's like a true outliner. It's it's kind of a mixture of both. Um, for that reason, for the characters to grow, or sometimes authors want to have a discovery too, like. Cause I don't know if this has happened to you, but when I write like characters sometimes do stuff that I didn't have planned. And sometimes oh, it's like, yeah. how am I going to get this back on track or where's this going to go? You know? Yep, exactly. In fact, in fact, I think that those tend to be the best moments. Like, Oh, I didn't expect that. That is so great. Right. You know, you're, and then you have to figure out how to go on from there. <laughs> yeah. I like it. It's, it's the fun part of the journey. Oh, it is. It really is. So being self-published, you're kind of in charge of everything. So when that yeah. first book came out, how did you go about finding an, an editor or a cover designer? Or how how okay. did you do that? For my first series, it was originally published by a small press. And while I had it, I had an editor. I, I kind of I found some, it was like a friend of a friend who was big in English, was English teacher kind of person. So editing wasn't really her thing. So, um, it, but she, she made my stuff more English correct, but it didn't, didn't add to the other things that I really wanted. So what I end up doing is I end up after a couple of years, I, I learned more about the business and I took my, my rights back from the publisher and I went off and self-publish. At the same time, I found somebody else to be an editor, uh, somebody, who, and this is, you know, what she does. I found that through actually another uh, fellow fantasy writer, right? Because what ends up happening is you network. Right. And networking is important. You kind of have a group of people that you swap uh, newsletter um, announcements with and all the other things. You support each other. Uh, but yeah, so I found an editor. That editor ended up re- retiring from the business. So through another uh, fellow fantasy author, I found my current editor. Um, and she's done, I don't know, last eight books or so, but, uh, that's all, that's all, you know, it's, it's kind of the way I think you do it. Um, cover designer kind of, kind of similar. Um, cause that the first series was originally published with the publisher. They had a cover designer. Mm-hmm. They, they make covers that I never loved. Um, and then when I got my rights back, I went out and I found another cover designer and, uh, he's been great. Uh, he actually shows up at. 20 books every year. Uh, his name is Jake Caleb, Jake Caleb design. Um, but, uh, yeah, but problem is he, he became really popular. So I got to book him way out in advance. So I, I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, okay. Next spring, Jake, I need some covers. So I, I kind of book some slots and I don't even know what the book's going to be yet. When it comes around, I just have to give him some pointers, point him in the right direction. And he creates something for me. No, and that's one thing that people have to keep in mind if they decide to go 
traditionally published or you know indie published you said you didn't like the covers that the the small press did you as a traditionally published author author sometimes you don't get the input that you want and they they might not do what you want you said you were uh you've been reading nothing but fantasy um since you were 12 do you remember that gateway book or story that you're like this is what i want to to read for the rest of my life yeah well what's interesting is even earlier i i read like the chronicles of narnia and i liked it but i was still reading other stuff and i read lord of the rings again i liked it but i was still reading other stuff um I want to say I was probably 13 or 14. I discovered Pawn of Prophecy, the first book in the Belgariad. Mm -hmm. And that series as, you know, in that age range, right? The 14, 15 year old age range. Oh my goodness. Like it just, I'm like, that spoke to me. I loved it so much. And then uh, the following, that was, the series was kind of new then. And the Malorian, the the follow-up series from Eddings came out right after that. And I was buying the books as they were releasing. Um, but that was, that was it. After I read that, I basically read nothing but fantasy. I reread that series even during my high school years, three, four times. Um, and since then, probably another two times, once with my own kids when they were that age. Nice. Um, yeah. So we could like sit down and talk about it. No, that's the fun thing about, um, this genre is you can share it with your kids. Um, and see them experience the same things you experience and it's fun to talk about uh, my son is turning 14 tomorrow and we've been doing that for the last couple of years um you know before it was the kind of the ya books that that he loved stuff like brandon moles fable haven and um stuff like that but but now he's starting to get into you know the will of time and, Brand, and um you know brandon sanderson's stormlight archive and stuff like that and so I'm like, man, I've been waiting for 14 years to talk to you about this stuff. So this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what, Wheel, Wheel of Time is my all-time favorite series. So. Yeah, mine too. It's a it's a great series. It's I know it's massive books. It's a lot to take on. And yeah, I understand people have complaints about the pacing, um, but just the world he built, the cast of characters, I love it. So. No, it's a it's a fantastic series. And from from what you're saying, I'm guessing that we're pretty close to about the same age. And when we were 14, 15, 13, in that age range, it was a lot smaller pool of books that you could read. Like it was, oh, yeah. you know, it was Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss. It was yep. David Eddings. Um, it was, you know, Will of Time came out when I was 13, the first book. In fact, let's see if I can get My Will of Time is right here. <laughs> and that very first book is a free sample that the bookstores were given out. So like, it was like a promotional thing and it's only like the first 200 pages. And that's what got me to buy the first book. And, and so I, I envy the kids now that are growing, you know, through their teenage years because the pool is so big and there's such great authors that can, um, that, that, that they can read and enjoy. Tell you what, in my teenage years, I would go to the mall and they used to have, you know, the bookstores in the mall, like Walden Books and Walden Books. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's the other one. Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But anyway, I would go to the fantasy section right away and I'd, I would look through books. And the first thing I would look for is, do they have a map in the front? If they had a map in the front, then I was interested. Because if not, then I'm like, wait, I, I just want to go to some world that the author created. And that was the, my key. Like I'm not, 
map was my gateway to that world. So that's how I chose books. And I chose, I, that lasted until I was well into my thirties. So <laughs> for like 20 years, I only picked up a book if it had a map in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was kind of the same way. I studied like, um, when I was like 13 or 14, no, I was like 13. Um, Terry Brooks was writing like the, the heritage of Shannara series. Yep. And so like my early teenage years, those were the books. And so like my, my gateway was the sword of Shannara. That was the, the thing that got me, that sucked me in. And so I, I had studied that map for hour, you know, and if it's, it's not even that complex, it's a simple map, but like I, I knew everywhere on that map. So I, I was kind of with you. I mean, that was big draw for the will of time is the map was even more detailed. And right. so, so I get it. And I even like was in high school and college, college, even like drawing maps, like creating my worlds. Like that's, that's what I did when I was bored. Yeah. What's funny is even today, because I, I write epic fantasy and I've written in two different worlds, but before I wrote one word in both of them, I created a map <laughs> That's because I needed, I need the, the topography and the climate and the, and I have to have an idea of the political boundaries and, and different variables before I can have people start walking around in this world. I, I, I need to, I need to know what kind of challenges they're going to encounter. So that's how I start. Do you do that very first or do you like characters pop in your head and you're like, okay, I have these characters. I want to put them in this world. Let's see what I can do. Like, Yeah. I mean, I think characters are always rolling around in my head, so it's hard for me to say exactly that. But the the characters, what I find is they get more refined as I write the first story about them. Right? I have an idea of a character, and you you know you kind of oh this tall, this you know muscular or not, and you know these color eyes, this color hair. That like you kind of have very basics, um, and maybe a little bit of their attitude. But you start writing them, and your head kind of like starts really it starts refining who they are. And then when, once you have a clear view of how they see the world and how they react to everything, then you're good to go. But it's hard to do that until you start writing them, right? You, you, you know kind of what their motivations are, but still you got to write them to feel it. Yeah. You got to create complex characters and sometimes you can't do that in the first book or even your, the first rolling around in your head. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's why, especially when I'm writing a books early in the series that, that first revision is critical because you, you write the character through and they'll evolve as the story goes on in your head. Right. And then you go back and you do the character from the beginning. So, so you I mean, yes, you're going to reveal and have them grow as the story goes on, but a character in the beginning, if he wasn't clear in your head, he was still kind of like a stick man and you got to flesh him out. And that's what that, that, that first revision super important for the first book. So well, you, you said you kind of have like these, these posts, um, what sort of things do you kind of have in your head? Do you have, do you have an ending or do you like to, um, kind of be surprised at that as, as time goes on? Like what, what do you kind of, what, what rolls around in your head to where you're like, okay, now I think I have enough bare bones stuff to, to kind of go. Yeah. Minimally, I usually have a series ending, um, a series ending, okay. series ending, right. Um, because in the end, everything's got to build toward that. And then within each book, I kind of like figure out what the own ending is sometimes as I go, but usually before I even begin that, uh, I will say one thing that's interesting to happen. Uh, so fate of wizardoms, which is 
the first series in my wizardom's world. In case people don't know, a wizardom is a kingdom ruled by wizards. So they're the ruling class. I mean, I always wondered, wait, Gandalf has all this power. Why doesn't he just take over, you know? And maybe some of them try to, but, but in this world, that's what happened. So everybody who has wizard abilities, they rule. Uh, anyway, I started writing the first series. I intended six books with an ending. But as I wrote the books, I realized like, wow, there's a lot more story here to tell. And I moved that ending off. And I had what I had originally as the midpoint become the ending of that series. And then I wrote a follow-up series of six books with the original ending. And it's kind of an end of the world kind of ending, but not really, but yeah. So <laughs> it was, uh, that's what happened. Again, when I was doing research for this, you on your, your website, you have a, a reading order. And not only do you have a main two main series, but you have side books, um, novellas of, of different characters. Right. So is that something that as you're writing, you're like, oh, I need to explore this character more, or I, I just came up with a really good plot line or, or something? How do, you, how do you go about doing, like, deciding, like, novellas to kind of branch off? Okay. Well, <clears throat> the first one, Originally, it was fully intentional as a reader magnet. Um, and not only did it introduce kind of like my central character, uh, but it introduced the central object to the first book. And that's like an amulet called the Eye of Obscurance. Um, but in that, in that story, the character has no idea. He's just supposed, he just is um, tasked to go retrieve it from a castle in the mountains. And he has some old warrior, grizzled warrior come with him because he can't face this monster alone that that's out there. Um, anyway, well, that grizzled warrior, he also is introduced later in the book or in the series, just not in the first book. He's in the second one. So that one was all intentional. The others all kind of came about for different reasons. A lot of them are like, well, you know, I kind of have this mental backstory in this character. I feel like I just want to tell. Uh, so I'd go off and I'd write, you know, 10,000 word novella and give it away to my my anybody who subscribes to my newsletter and that's part of it too is that i want to have things i can give away to my fans that that they don't have to go by or and they can't even go by right so um, Mm -hmm. i want to feel like they're getting something else out of our relationship besides the fact i talk about oh hey here's what's going on with me this week and here's my latest promotion whatever okay um so that's that's another big part of it. Uh, one of them also came about as a kind of a bridge story between the two series. I had done that with my first two series as well. Um, so when people end one series, I'm like, hey, check out this bridge story. And then maybe you want to read the next thing. No, and that's a very common practice for both the, the bridge stories um, and the reader magnet. I mean, I talked about that book for the Wheel of Time. Like that's basically what it was, is a reader magnet. They will give you the first 200 pages of this book and then you know, the hope was to bring you in to buy it. It was, you know, it was a new series that they were promoting. Right. And for those people, um, little side note for that, want to be an author, be um, that that's a good habit to have a reader magnet to bring fans in to show what you can do. So um, do you have any like tips or tricks for new authors? Uh, this is kind of off the cuff. So like you might not have any off the cuff, but yeah, um, I have a few. I mean, First off, if you want to be a writer, you got to just write, you know, even if you don't publish, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. Because the more you do it, the better you get at it. There's no doubt. I know 
I cringe going back and looking at my first book and there, it gets good reviews and plenty of people love it, but I would rewrite it <laughs> in a lot of ways if I had to go back because I got better. I got better at storytelling and grammar and sentence structure and uh, all kinds of when to do a cliffhanger, when not, all that stuff. Um, so right. Second one is absolutely get an editor. Don't, don't release anything out to the world without having an editor. And ideally you have one who doesn't just look for typos. You have one who is, you know, giving you more feedback than that. Like, you know, pointing out inconsistencies and um, helping you fix, fix sentence structure or finding alternative um, nouns or adverbs to use, you know, so you don't overuse something, all that stuff, editor, for sure. And then lastly, don't skimp on a cover. Nobody's gonna check out your book if they don't like the cover. That's, it's, it's kind of like level one. Like they, they won't even get to your page or read the synopsis if they don't like the cover. So <laughs> find a good cover artist and yeah, it's a good investment. Get a good get a good cartographer too for the map. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like drawing my own maps and I pretty decent, but I still like having it look like it's polished thing. So yeah, I have somebody else who's who's converted those from from my scribble to something beautiful. So I know um, Amazon algorithms are kind of hard to keep track of um, and and keep up on. How have you stayed current on marketing or what do you do to stay current on marketing? Yeah, um, and that's definitely true because they change. I mean, there used to be a time where it was almost uh, a golden a golden parachute or something to release um, Inkindle Unlimited, uh, like a, a fancy box set for 99 cents and just push a lot of money at it um, because okay, you would then show it to everybody and you'd have all these page reads and it'd be fine. The 99 cents didn't matter because the income income was great, but that changed. Um, and it changed about a year and a half ago. So yeah, you have to be able to adapt. There's no doubt. Um, I run Amazon ads, uh, and I run Facebook ads and I try, I try other things. I run book pop ads sometimes. And I, I have audio. I have like, so my books are on audio and the, the books that I own the audio rights where I, I get a bigger share of uh, the royalty. I I always ha um, have ads going for on Facebook for that because they're a high ticket item. You know, I, I get mm -hmm. I earn about like five dollars every time somebody buys one. So if I have to pay forty cents for a click, it's fine, whatever, because I get enough clicks where it, it breaks even. Um, so I, I think what's important is you experiment and you you are constantly learning. So I have, you know, I've a network of friends and we share information. I try different things um, and what works I do more of and what doesn't work. I stop doing and I tell other people, well, it didn't work for me. You know, you try it, your mileage might vary. Um, and uh, yeah, and we, we keep going because in the end we're not battling against each other. None of us can write enough books to satisfy readers. Like I five, six books a year for me, that's not gonna be enough for most readers. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so we support each other, and it's it's about us um, more than anything. Just just making sure that people are still reading, and they find fun things to to read. So as long as it's quality stuff, 
you can get enough people to buy book one, they'll buy books two and three and four and five and you'll be okay. Just know that you're going to probably lose money on book one because mm-hmm. everybody I know does. No, that's great advice. And I also liked what you said that you, there's not enough books out there to satisfy readers. So you're not in competition with other people. Right. I like that. Um, and, and networking is huge. Um, being able to have a group of people that you can bounce ideas off of and um, who, who, who can you know, tell you what's working for them, that, that helps out a lot. So that's, that's a great, that's a great trick and, and tip. So, uh, with COVID, um, you know, we got a vaccine, things are kind of, I'll, I'll say in quotes, getting back to normal. Um, are you going to be able to do any conventions or anything this year that, uh, people can come out and see you and meet you? Uh, well, I'll be at, so author conventions, 20 books. I, you know, I've been there, uh, the last two that they've had. Tried to go to the one in between, but it got canceled. You know, mm-hmm. um, I may or may not be at Nink. I don't know if you know what Nink is, but it's a, it's a, it's a little bit more expensive, more exclusive author event uh, held in Florida in September. I've been there the last two years as well. Otherwise, right now I don't have anything planned. I tried to apply for Dragon Con, but I didn't get a response back. Um, oh. so I don't, I don't know what happened there. Uh, and it's been a while since I've done like comic cons at WonderCon kind of thing. And, and I like doing mm-hmm. panels, but I find that, um, for me doing a table, it never is worth it. Like I, even if I sell enough books to pay for the table, it's just the time that I lose sitting at that table for three days, I could be writing. It's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make up for that lost time. So if I go to cons and just do panels and talk to people, I'm good with that. Uh, mm-hmm. so we'll, We'll see. I might try to get back into that again. I was doing that for a while too, but yeah, COVID messed everything up. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. Well, Jeff, thank you for getting on with me today. Tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Okay. Uh, yeah. My author website is Jeffrey L And that's J E F F R E Y L K O H A N E K.com. And then, uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, as Jeff Kohanek. And as you know, I have an author page, Jeffrey Alkalonic author page. And then lastly, uh, I'm an admin. If you're, if you're a fantasy author, I'm an admin for a Facebook group called uh, Indie Fantasy Addicts. And I think we've got, I don't know, uh, 7,500, 8,000 people right now. Now most are readers, but there are a lot of authors there. It is about readers. So don't go there and just think you can start promoting your book. But it's a great place to commune and readers, will, they're focused on discovering indie authors. So they're authors who don't have a big traditional publisher. That's the whole intent is for to bring these authors and readers together. So the readers will post reviews all the time on this Facebook page and the authors will come in and comment. Thank you for you know, reviewing my book. You know, glad you enjoyed it, that kind of thing. And then we have a sister group for the authors only. And in that group, we talk about, you know, things that we can do to help support each other. So check out, and that group is called uh, Authors of IFA. Yeah, so Indie Fantasy Addicts and Authors of IFA. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to visit with me. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.